But I think what, you know, what people need to understand about venture capital, there's a lot more million rand ideas or million dollar ideas than there are million dollar entrepreneurs. And that's the bottom line. How's it, guys? So last night we kicked off the second installment of the Secrets of Scale Events series powered by Entrepreneur Magazine and The Mesh Club. This installment of the Secrets of Scale pitted an entrepreneur against two of South Africa's top venture capitalists to find out what exactly does it take to build a fundable business. Your panelists are Kiat Finzale, the partner of Knife Capital, Clive Butko, CEO of Kalon Venture Capital, and Benji Kutsia, CEO of Empty Trips. Today's show will consist of three parts. The first part is about funding your scale, and we're going to explore the dynamics between David versus Goliath. And in this segment, we'll share insights related to funding your business's scale, using venture capital versus the benefits of bootstrapping it yourself. You'll also discover what VCs look for when backing scalepreneurs, and you'll hear firsthand about Benji Katia's experience competing at the World Cup of Startups in Silicon Valley just last week. The second part of the show, we'll be exploring formulas to scale, how to scale any market. And we'll reveal proven formulas to scale your business in any market. And Clive, Benji, and Kid share some really amazing practical how-to steps and frameworks that you can apply right now to start scaling your business. The final part of the show is all around technology, obviously tech being a key enabler of scale. But what kind of technology should you consider as an entrepreneur and more importantly adopt on your scale journey? We'll also discuss the technologies that are shaping the current and future world of business and how entrepreneurs can take advantage of these technologies to scale their businesses and much, much more. Remember that next week, Monday, that's the 4th of June, we have another cracking edition of The Secrets of Scale coming up featuring none other than Vinnie Lingham, the CEO of Civic and Shark Tank Investor, Manus Britrek, the CEO of Transaction Capital SME Services and Shark Tank Investor, Buya Tofile, CEO of Entrepreneur Bank and Jason Goldberg, the founder of 10X E Investments and director of Edge Growth. So if you haven't yet booked your ticket to The Secrets of Scale, do that now. That's qkt.io, Secrets of Scale.
How's it, guys? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the second installment of the Matt Brown Show and Secrets of Scale. Thank you all so much for being here tonight. I know how busy you all are, so I do appreciate that. Also, a big welcome to our online YouTube audience. Uh, thank you so much, Kit. You can reshare that link now. Benji, Clive, you can also do that. You're all tagged. Do it. Will do. <laughs> cool. Um, so tonight, we're going to basically take you on an evolution of uh, last week Thursday show uh, more specifically just so you know what you got yourselves into tonight <laughs> uh, the first part is we're going to look at funding right so we've got two of South Africa's biggest VCs on the show tonight we've also got Benji Katsia the CEO of MT Trips who was just last week in Silicon Valley competing at the World Cup of Startups so we've got two unique perspectives on the world of scale uh, the second part of the show we're going to look at formulas to scale and this is really around how to scale your business regardless of what market you're operating in. Um, and we're going to share some practical how-to stuff around how to exactly do that. Um, and the third part of the show is around technology, obviously tech being a key enabler of scale. Um, and so today we're going to talk around what kind of technology should one adopt? What does a business model kind of look like from a technology-enabled perspective? Is technology the be-all and end-all of scale? All that kind of cool stuff. So before we jump into the meat and the potatoes, I'm just going to quickly bring on to the stage Jonathan Mayer, the CEO of The Mesh Club. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Mesh Club. Uh, my name's Jono. Jonathan's my name when I'm in trouble. So uh, if we're going to have a chat about later, please use Jono. Mesh Club is a space for uh, entrepreneurs to meet and work in the day and socialize and connect in the evenings. And the proposition is not too dissimilar from what you're going to experience tonight. Um, we're going to be chatting to some of the, secrets, uh, the masters of Secrets of Scale tonight. And uh, two core things come out of what Mesh does. The one is about uh, information sharing creation amongst uh, members. And the second one is uh, connecting people uh, with like-minded people. And um, one of the things that we're going to be offering tonight to everyone in the room, firstly, show of hands, who's an entrepreneur or business owner? Quite a few. So this offer is going to be perfect for you. We are going to be putting a link up now to a trial program that we're going to be putting forward from the end of the month. Uh, any MESH members in the room, please do participate as well. Don't feel left out. Um, we're going to be giving a one-day trial for everyone to come and experience a little bit about what MESH is about. Um, there's a set of questions. Uh, we need to get to know you a little bit more. Um, and if you convert your trial into a membership, you're going to be assigned a membership concierge relationship manager. There's a section in the questionnaire about areas of development and things that I want to know. We will undertake to connect you with one of the 300 members in the existing community in order to solve that part of your questionnaire. That's something that we're going to undertake tonight. 
Another thing is uh, three people that uh, stand a chance to win a feature on Mesh TV, which we're launching at the end of this a month in collaboration with Matt Brown, which is our YouTube channel that's coming. Cool. So head over to oh, – we haven't even put the link up – www.meshclub.co.za forward slash trial. Do it in the room tonight while you're listening to everyone. It's meshclub.co.za forward slash trial. Cool. Yeah, thanks, Johnny. So, guys, do that now. The reason why that's also really important that you do it now, if you haven't got your phones out, get your phones out because you should be tweeting or taking photos or doing something. So, get your phone out. It's a phone friendly environment. It's not your phone. Um, and so, the other thing to say is that if you if you want to get your business and your personal profile basically profiled in Entrepreneur Magazine, we have Nadine Todd, the editor of Entrepreneur Mag here tonight. Um, so you'll only be eligible for that if you fill out that form, right? So it's very important for you guys to do that. So if you are online looking at us right now, that's Mesh Club, M-E-S-H, uh, club.co.za forward slash trial. Cool. So let's get some guests on. Let's bring up on the stage Benji Kutsia. Round of applause, please. So Kia's got his groove on with the white wine starting to flow through his veins. You know what I mean? Could be a long day. <laughs> I am in Cape Town after all, so, you know. Yeah, well, you know, it's the wine Cheers. city, eh? <laughs> okay, cool. Um, our next guest is none other than the man himself, the living legend, Clive Butko. <laughs> Welcome, Clive. Welcome, Clive. I'll get you all to introduce yourselves in a sec. And last but not least, the guy up on the monitors who did a major, major exit to Uber, which we're going to talk about, <laughs> 450 million rand. Woo. The man himself, Kiet Vinsale. I picked that song specifically for you, kids. <laughs> cool, cool. But just a uh, just a correction there. The fund size was 150 million. Uh, I can't I can't disclose how much the exit was, but um, oh, but let's just say that uh, 150 million rand would have been an insult. Can you tell us now then? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why not? Please. You know Matt Brown gets the scoop, dude. Come on. It's like the you, illusion you know, of choice. Do, do you guys really want to know why not? Yes. Very simply, we formed a relationship with this entrepreneur over the last eight to 10 years. His new, I mean, the main player here is Uber, and they just chose not to disclose the value. And we're not going to come in and mess up the whole relationship there by coming here from left field as the VC saying, oh, you know, this was the, this was the thing. I mean, we now, we, now, we now exited. We're not a player anymore. So it's up to them to, to do so, and we won't disclose anything that's not in the public domain by them because of, because of the respect to the, uh, to, the, to the new owners and the process. Cool. We respect that, don't we all? What do you guys think of that? Yeah. Um, Mav, can I get the wireless mic? I just want to get some expectations from you guys. Uh, just randomly, Marco, can I get the mic to this chap here in the blue shirt? So just tell us who you are and what are your expectations for tonight? 
going away. Sorry. Go for it. My name is Mario. I'm from a company called Collaborative Solutions. Involved in quite a few different um, areas, but mainly in customized software development and um, also in the printing industry. So my expectations are just to hear and see what's happening in the space of scaling. What about you? I met you earlier before the show started. Just your name and what are your expectations for tonight? Hi, I'm Paul Willifeed. I'm from uh, Meti, a private equity company. Um, yes, I mean, uh, it's it's also similar to, to see what's happening and to sort of gain some insights into the, the challenges faced by companies uh, scaling their businesses and, and starting out. Okay, are you in a scale business right now? I suppose you're looking to scale at the businesses, right? Yeah, some of our portfolio companies do have some challenges like or scaling their businesses. Um, they're generally more mature in, in nature, but uh, do face similar challenges, yes. Okay, cool. Just one more. What about this gentleman here on the pink seat, the hot seat? <laughs> Dude, can you pass the mic down? Thank you. Can you turn the speaker volume down? Thanks. My name is, so, sorry, Jason Psilos. I'm the CEO of a company called OneFetch. It's an on-demand motorbike career company, and I'm at the exact stage of the business life cycle where this is very pertinent to, to me. Okay, lovely, cool. So I think we've got some pretty cool expectations in the room, and I hope that steers the conversation for us um, as panelists tonight. So let's start with our first act, which is funding your scale. So this is probably going to be the most interesting part of the show for the simple reason that uh, Benji's been <coughs> on the show before, as has Clive. Kia, it's the first time for you, so welcome. Um, but, uh, but these guys have fundamentally different views. And what I love about doing the show is that when I get people to disagree about stuff, <laughs> it generally makes it rather interesting. So, no, see, exactly. <laughs> use the mic, yeah. <laughs> so I want to start with, uh, with Benji. So in the context of scale, right? Funding your scale, like you've spent, can I share details around stuff? So you put like 3 million of your own cash into basically building empty trips to an investable proposition. At that point, she explored the local VC market here in South Africa. And one of the key things that you said to me uh, on the show was the irony about venture capitalists in South Africa is that they don't really venture. <laughs> So we can explore, explore that right now. <laughs> so Benji, um, has your perspective now changed having been to like the top one, 0.1% of you know, startup competition globally, tech-enabled startups in Silicon Valley? I mean, how has your perspective changed, if at all? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Um, I st 
still believe venture capitalists are very similar to women. They don't know really what they want. Um, and when they think they do, they change their mind again. So I think there's all these checklists and all these articles, and I listen to so many podcasts and I read so many art articles myself and try to write some. And every time you think you know what a VC looks for before they invest, um, big white space, addressable market, strong team, um, traction, MVP, first users, blah, 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 great model, great brand, blah, everything. Sounds like a very long list. It's a long tick list. And that ladder of proof just keeps getting longer and longer and taller and taller. Um, and you think you take everything and then you meet another VC and they just say, why don't you come back in three months again? Great concept, great team, like it, like you, keep going. So there's never really pleasing, I think. Um, typically, I believe a VC will step in and step up when they back the jockey. And I was fortunate enough to persuade um, seduce, I don't know what you want to call it, um, my investors. And I've been very fortunate because a lot of us believe that you can quit your day job or you can leave university and be a true millennial and be a CEO as your first job, which is a joke. Um, laugh, yes, you can. Um, but the, and the essence of it all is it's really you need to be the jockey that they want to back and you know what you're doing and you're clear and you have purpose and you have execution capability and you have a tribe of people behind you that's going to keep pushing. And then you might just get lucky. Okay, so I have to push you, yes or no, do local South African VCs actually venture, yes or no? Not an early stage, no. Cool. Clive? <laughs> well, the answer is yes, I agree. Uh, I don't disagree. I think you can't say venture capitalists. I wouldn't uh, you know, use the same brush for everyone. I think some people have different stages. Some going to early stage, some going to growth capital, some going to later stages. So I don't think it's a VC issue. But we have a, an investment mandate in our company that we'll, we, we look at a portfolio theory. So maybe 10, 20% will be earlier stage, 80% will be growth capital, 10% will be later stage. But predominantly, you're right. I mean, predominantly, venture capital is not, we don't take unnecessary risk. That's the whole point. So everyone That's sees. That's PE. No, this is venture capital. So I look at what we do as venture capital. So let me explain to you how we de risk a risk. So we're not gamblers. We don't go to the casino and put money on black and red. That's gambling. We do not do that. Okay. A lot of angel investors, in all honesty, they don't understand the business. They'll put in uh, money at ridiculous valuations, and I'll see that as gambling. We're not gamblers. So what we do is we de-risk our risk. We look at three things in an investment, three types of risk. We say, is the deal investable? Is the person investable, the team? Just keep the uh, mic by your mouth if you don't mind, sorry. Is the deal investable, is the person investable, and is the risk investable? And if the, you get the three yeses to those, we might then look at and taking it further. Yes, you need to have that great jockey, you need to have execution capability, you need to have traction, you need to have a large target addressable market, et cetera, et cetera. But I think what, you know, what people need to understand about venture capital, there's a lot more million rand ideas or million dollar ideas than there are million dollar entrepreneurs. And that's the bottom line. You know, yes, Benji are here and she's the exception to the rule, but I've seen, we've seen as scale on five, 600 companies since we launched two and a half years ago, and we've made four investments and probably got looking at two to three right now. So you can see we, we, the odds are pretty much like venture capital in the US, one in a hundred, that's what we're investing in. So it doesn't mean because you, and I know this I learned from Kirt, and, and, uh, and Kirt's absolutely right, doesn't mean because a good business is an investable business. 
a good idea doesn't necessarily mean a good business. It doesn't necessarily mean an investable business. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs see a rejection of a VC saying they don't like my business. I love, of the 600 I rejected, probably 300 were great businesses. They were just not venture capital investable businesses. I didn't see us getting a 10 times, 20 times, 100 times return on investment based on the type of business that they were in. So it doesn't mean it's a bad business. It might be a lifestyle business. It might be a good business for a family. It might earn them a very good living. But it's not something I can get a 10x return to my investors. So just to summarize, we're there to de-risk our investments. And we de-risk it. The way I describe it is taking the, the, like an onion. The first layer is, is it an excellent management team? Have they got execution capability? And then I'll peel off one layer of the onion. Second layer, do they have traction? And if they've got a lot of traction, I'll take the third layer and the fourth layer and the fifth layer and the sixth layer. Because traction trumps everything. The irony of that, you need money to build traction. <laughs> and I disagree with that. But anyway, we won't go into that now. Because no, no, I've built no, businesses. We must go there now, sorry. And can I go into that? If, but no, I wanted to give to. kids That's a chance. That's the whole point here. of the show, right? Is to have that chat. So. I've built many businesses. And I've built many businesses. And, and I can give advice to any entrepreneur here in the, in, in the audience. The question is not... Often I'm asked the question is, how do I raise venture capital and who do I raise venture capital from? And I think that's the wrong question. The question they should be asking is, do I need to raise venture capital? Because venture capital, equity is the most expensive funding you can possibly get. Last you have resort. to understand that. Last resort, not first resort. And I say this as a venture capitalist. So to me, where I've been most successful building businesses, which is non-dilutive, i.e. you give, no, give away no equity, is customer funding. You get your customers to fund, you build your MVP, or even before your MVP, it could be just off a, a wireframe that's cost you absolutely nothing. You go to your customers, you say, this is what I want to build. They believe in you, they believe in your passion, and they give you money. That's what I've done many, many times and built some very, very successful businesses. So when I see an entrepreneur who says, I, I need capital because I also can't grow my business, Yes, there might be, if you're building a very highly capital-intensive uh, business, I agree with that. But in tech, as an example, you don't need it, in my honest opinion. I built many tech businesses without raising any funding, built big businesses, exited the businesses, made money, and still had 100% of the equity of the, of, of, of the business that I worked with. So, you know, it's just a matter of experience, and my experience is customer funding is gold. Have you written a book yet? I'm going to. <laughs> so I want to bring You'll be the uh, first person to read it. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to bring uh, Clive into the mix here. Kids, rather, fuck sex. Um, we do, we do swear. Look to your left, look to your right. No one died. It's okay. Uh, so, so kids. Um, so I met Kiet properly for the first time on the venture train. It's basically leaves for Joburg and takes way too long to get to Cape Town. <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, but you do talk about some rad stuff like uh, the startup ecosystem in South Africa and et cetera, et cetera. So while I was on the train, interesting thing, there was Kiet, uh, there was, he was the chap from the States, Craig Mullet, the also yeah. angel investor. Brett was there, Kamal, a couple of us. Yeah, yeah exactly. And we're talking about the entrepreneur who comes to a VC expecting to get funded. And I want to explore that piece because I think there's different, you know, because you're kind of alluding to it, like when do you take VC money? And then I want to go into like what are the alternatives, right? So, kids, you, how many times do you get pitched a year? Just the number. Well, we get about five business plans a day in our inbox. Um, we reject all five if they come in our inbox, if they don't come through our network. So, um, you know, if, they, if it's not a referral coming through our inbox, you know, we, we basically wouldn't, wouldn't look at it. But it's not because it's just basically the opportunity cost of time. And I, and I do want to agree with Benji here. 
I mean, I, I think Clive is trying to, to put the VCs out of business by, by advising entrepreneurs to, to not come to us. So, uh, so I, I, I slightly disagree with him. But uh, so trying to put you out of business, Kurt, not me. <laughs> but I can see where he's going. <laughs> but yeah, VCs don't really venture. I mean, that's a that's a interesting. South African VCs don't really venture, and, I, and, and Clive agreed with that, and I would absolutely agree with that as well. Um, you know, when you go through through this whole cycle, remember. VC is a little bit more formalized from, from angel investment. If it's, if it's kids' money and I like Benji, I can give her a couple of hundred thousand rand and say, listen, I'm, you know, I, I know what the opportunity cost of money is for me here. I, I maybe buy a smaller boat or something next time because I lost a couple of hundred K or whatever as an angel investor, you know. From a VC perspective, now remember, especially us a lot in the 12J space, we've got numerous investors, you know, and from that perspective, a lot of these lists, which, which, uh, which self-help lists and what you need for funding from VCs and that are based on US VC, where it's more established, you know, and from that perspective, where, yeah, there you play a little bit of money ball of maybe one or two in 10 succeed and all the rest of it. I think I'd be chased out of South Africa with my tail between my legs. If I say to my investors, guess what? one out of 10 of my investments succeeded. They're like, geez, like you don't know what you're doing. You know? So I think from a perspective of it's a broader institutional risk issue in, in South Africa that we are not very, we are very risk averse and we see failure. And I mean, I'm not one for celebrating failure. I acknowledge it and learn from it and all the rest, but I mean, it's just a different model. So, so Benji, um, alluded to private equity there and we've got Metia in the room there as well. So, so, VC is actually a little bit in between sort of in South African context now. It's a matter of definition. You know, sometimes I walk into, into a room and say I'm a venture capitalist when I want to sound cool, and other times I'm a growth equity funder, you know, because growth equity just sounds a little bit less risky than venture capital. But that's generally what Knife Capital does, is we have never and will never invest in an idea. Every single business we've invested in had customers, and um, we'll talk about customer funding just now when we talk about audit talk, but that's, that's, that's one of the things that Clive mentioned there, which is very important. Cool. So let's talk about what is the profile of an investable business or slash entrepreneur look like, right? So Benji is a great case study. Uh, there's many others in the room. How many of you, by the way, are looking to raise funding right now? Hands up. Okay. Probably about eight of you. Okay, cool. I want to get a question from you two there. XBCG right there. XBCG. Oh, mm. hello. Okay, how are you doing? Cool. So, um, so what is it, Clive, if we can ask you first, um, what, does the, what are you looking for? I mean, when you say traction, and traction is the main thing that you look for, can you quantify that uh, for us? So, yeah, that's, that's a great question. I mean, it's not that complicated. So I call it the four T's. And, I mean, Benji alluded to that as well. I mean, she's went through many more than just four T's. But number one is the team. So we, I want to see the best team on the planet. I want to see a team that's got, I call it the five C's. They've got, they know how to communicate. They've got courage. They've got con conviction. They're caring. They, et cetera, et cetera. I can go on about these C's. You know, we want to see someone that's done it before that's not just an entrepreneur, that's a leader. Someone that can actually build a big company and they, instead of being the founder, they become the leader and the CEO of the company and, and take it into a big company. What skills do they need? They need to have domain expertise. So they're building a business in logistics, like, like Benji as an example. They need someone in their team needs to have logistics experience. I'm not going to invest in a fintech from someone that knows mining. It doesn't make any sense. They haven't got the, the domain expertise. They need to have commercial expertise. So I always say to the people, when you look at a business, someone's got to build the stuff. You need the technical skills, and someone's got to sell the stuff. Often we find these three unbelievable engineers come see us, 
And they built this unbelievable technology, but they don't, actually don't know what problem it actually solves. Because it doesn't solve a problem because they built something and they will come, and that only happens in the movies. It doesn't happen in real life. Build it, they will not come. Find out their customers first, and then you go and build it. So that's the second thing. And then, so someone's got to build it, and someone's got to sell it. So I want to see someone that's a salesperson that's got commercial savviness and the tech person. So it's a good domain expertise, commercial expertise, and, and obviously um, sales expertise. That's, that's the team. So it's got to be the best team. And I want to see, and I know this is a bit of a, 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 a dichotomy about execution experience. So they'll say, but I'm, how can I ever get execution experience if you're never prepared to invest in me? So if you haven't got it because you're 22, get someone in your team that has got it, that's actually built a company before, that's at least got experience of knowing how to scale a business. Because, again, it's about risk. Again, it comes to the thing is, are you, is the deal uh, investable from a risk point of view? And if there's no one that's ever built a business before, my risk goes up substantially with other people's money. The second T is just really about the, the technology. It must be a very innovative technology. It must be something 10x better than something else that's out there, and it must have a moat around the castle. And what I mean by that, it must either have some intellectual property. It must have 12 to 18 months. If someone else copies it, we'll be 12 to 18 months ahead. I don't want a me too company that every second person has got exactly the same company. And let me tell you something, just like Keir says he gets five a day, of the five, 600 we've seen, many of those are exactly the same businesses. They're not 600 unique businesses. They're probably 100 unique businesses of six times the same business. So that's the second one is the technology. And remember, we only invest in tech. And this is not whether it's tech or it's manufacturing. It's, it's exactly the same thing. The third one is, is, um, is, is traction. Now, when I talk about traction, what I want to see, it's not about I want to see $2 million a month or whatever it is. What I want to see is a reasonable number, maybe a few hundred K a month. That doesn't really matter. It's just that I can see the customers are buying, they're referenceable clients, but really what I'm looking at is the growth. So I'm saying if you're growing at double digit, 10, 20, 30, 40% month on month, clearly the dogs are eating the dog food. You've got something that's solving a problem, that's, that's scratching an itch. That's what I'm interested in. So you might even be a 10, 20 million business, but you're growing at 2%. I'm not interested. That's not a venture capital investable business. And my last T, and that third one's very important. People don't get that one. I want to see this thing. We made an investment recently. They're growing 20% month on month. Now, you can just understand that's a 400% growth year on year. That's the type of businesses we want to invest in. They're really raising capital now at a 50% higher level than we raised, it when we, than we raised three, four months ago. And the fourth T is... is as Benji Rafferty said, it's got to be a very large target addressable market. Not day one. It can be a niche market. It can be an adjacent market. Just a market that you can dominate. You know, I was thinking South Africa is a great place, you know, birth your, uh, launch your business where you were birthed. I see too many entrepreneurs from South Africa try and start their business out in America or the UK. Don't do that. South Africa is a great testing pad to check that your business can actually work and before cheaper. you go. Say again? And it's cheaper locally. And a hell of a lot cheaper to build a business. So those are the four T's we look at. And yes, there's a lot behind that, but that's at a high level. Cool. I want to move on to Benji. So um, I'm just looking at some of your fact sheets here and also your pitch. I, I watched that uh, just last week when you were pitching in Silicon Valley and what have you. Um, and so one of the things that you described was that you have the largest fleet in Africa uh, without owning any. Um, so, and just to echo what Clive's saying here when he's talking about growth and like there's users, what is it, like users? Is it like, you know, uh, bottom line profits? Is what is, you know, there's a whole bunch of different things that you could potentially be looking at in the business. But for you, owning the largest fleet, so this is a transport fleet in Africa without owning any, what do you say to a VC like that? Um, and how, and could you quantify your own business uh, when in the context of what a VC, as Clive has just described to us, is looking for in terms of growth? 
I think um, when I listened to these, was it four or five T's? Four. Four and five C's. That's with that. Five. Yeah, that's plus that. Very consultant of you to five, four, three. Um, so what we built at Empty Trips, we're 13 months old, and I quit my job 16 months ago when I started working on this full-time. And I can now officially say that I own, well, I manage more trucks than Imperial CEO. Right? Clap that up. Clap that up. Might not earn his salary yet, but um, that's a different story. Um, I think when a VC thinks about traction, there's a number of, it could be financial, it could be technical, it could be team-wise, it could be traction-wise, it could be just reputation-wise. And what we've been able to do is, one, prove a use case. So we could only do that once we built the technology. So I got our first customers to say, okay, I'm not going to fund your build, but I'm happy to run a pilot with you, but you're not going to charge me. So I said, okay, cool, we'll run free pilots with you, blah, 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 but just sign up. Come on, Imperial, come on, Grenard, come on, just give me your trucks for free. And systematically, we started building those relationships, and as we built those relationships, I started realizing that I wasn't building actually a solution that will fill trucks. I was building an open spot market, and I didn't know that I was building that initially. And that happened very quickly. Now we can say that whilst we started in trucking, we're moving into rail, I can tell a VC, I'm also launched the first digital rail exchange globally. I'm the first. Secondly, I have supporting new revenues out of a neighboring industry. I now am in insurance. I'm a Logi InsurTech. I didn't know that I was building that. So in terms of traction, when a, when a VC looks at me, I say, okay, well, I have over 4,000 trucks in my books, over, over 100, locomotive, um, 100 locomotives, and um, I can show my clients that they'll save, well, they'll save 23% per trip. That is 3% more than the Tesla semi-truck promises. I mean, come on, Elon Musk. I'm a year old, and I have not a thousandth of the capital that you had. But that is what I can show and I can prove to my clients. What happens? Clients are like, Sherbert, you can save me 23% per trip. Okay, move my call. Great, I've got volumes. So systematically, I think, regardless of what the VC wants, it also, what does your client want? Because if your client wants something, you can show that you don't need the VC's money. As Clive alludes to, VC is the last resort. Yes, you need money to build your first technology or to persuade the right team to be behind you because they're not going to leave BCG and McKinsey salaries to come and join you or Accenture <laughs> to come and join you for free uh, unless you give them equity, which is also one of your most expensive capital. So it's, it's a very lean balance between creating the traction, knowing what your client wants, building the use case, building the traction based on that use case, and then saying, what type of capital do I want? Like you said, I risk my own money first. I'm broke. Personally, I'm broke, right? But that's fine because I can also not go to someone, be it an angel or a VC, and ask them for their money when I haven't been willing to risk my own money. So it's been a very steep learning curve over 13 months, but traction can be a number of things. It's who have you signed exclusivity with, what big brands are willing to back you, which experts have come on board for free to talk to you and give you advice and not want a board seat or not want anything. And that, I think, is only testament to the traction and the proven concept and the proven value add of what you've built. And trust me, our technology is full of bugs and it's full of issues. But our clients, when I phone them and I say, I'm so sorry, I effed up again, 
well, the tech did. They're like, don't worry, Benj, you're the only one doing this. Why? Because I identified a white space. Tick. Yeah. Right? So it's... <laughs> so, yeah, I think traction is... It really depends on what the VC is looking for, and it depends on where you're on your cycle and how much you need and when you need it by, and, you know, whether you're that desperate or not. Cool. So, um, obvious question. Did you actually pitch to Kiet? I actually did. He did. Okay. Yeah. So, so let's explore that story. Sorry, I'm you. <laughs> because because Kiet didn't back you. So, I mean, what, what the actual fuck? Can, you know can I, mean? I just say one thing, though? I was very early stage, and what Keith did is he opened me up to the Angel Network, um, and he, he's been backing me ever since. So his partner, Andrea, um, got me involved in Lionesses of Africa. I flew to Germany because of them. I pitched a whole bunch of German investors, et cetera, et cetera, and that's how we got the Deutsche Bahn um, relationship going and the Siemens relationship, which is more on the locomotives and rail production side. doesn't matter. So Keith, when he sees, see, says that he enables the ecosystem, I back you. You might not have backed me, but I back you. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, so... Look, we play a we play a long game as as as, as knife capital. So um, we we in, in Benji is clearly an entrepreneur that you can back. Um, so at the time when we chatted a year ago, whenever that was, we identified that, and um, and we're investing in our in our future investment in empty trips. So I'm happy to pay much more for it now than I could have a, a year ago, and I'm happy to pay for it much more in a year's time when the right time comes. When she needs to scale, but along the way, because of, of that, we we recognise that this is an entrepreneur we need to stay close to, and all of us do that, you know. So so from that perspective, we haven't invested in that, but it wasn't a rejection. We I mean, it was a very open conversation to say, listen, re- really, at at the moment, we can't call it where the business is. We we really can our gut feel tells us there's something here, and therefore we're going to act on that gut feel and invest time in your business. I mean, and she, she will tell you as well, the first, the first SMS, I mean, the first WhatsApp she'll get when there's another article on empty trips or when she's won another entrepreneurship prize will be from us. And that's, um, that's because we, we really recognize that there's, there's, there's something there. And we really, we, I mean, my, one of my favorite things is when entrepreneurs come back and says, I told you so, you should have invested a year ago or whatever. I, I love that. You know? I'm a so, woman. Um, I love saying I, not, I told you so. <laughs> so um, so I, think, I think from that perspective, you know, we feel we've adopted empty trips as a, as a, as a, as a, let's call it a stepchild of, of, uh, of the investment space. And hopefully, you know, who knows where these things get. We've got a, lot, a number of these entrepreneurs. So, so it's, it's not as simple as reject or invest, you know, it's, it's basically saying, well, maybe not now, but that cycle is, it's a long game. We play a long game. Clive well, actually, hey, I had coffee with him at Rose right here at Hyde Park. Okay, so... Early days, eh? Yes, yeah. it was. We hadn't even launched yet. Even earlier kit. I hadn't even so launched this wasn't idea. <laughs> can't, You can't blame us, you know? <laughs> you know, all of us VCs are kit. We're all the same. What can we say? But I must oh. be honest, your, your point's so valid, though. I mean, there's an entrepreneur sitting in the room here today who we really want to back, but uh, it also has to be a willing buyer, willing seller situation where we, the valuation, our valuation, their valuation are different. But we're backing them. We're spending time. We're helping them open doors. We're going into presentations. I'm personally going into presentations with them. We've got nothing invested. They could walk away from us. So I think if you really want the smart VCs, that's what smart VCs do. They, they, as, as Kurt says, we play a longer game. 
Fantastic. Let's actually talk to that guy right now. Um, so I play polo with one of his investors' wives, actually. So, <laughs> so just your name, please, if you don't mind. Um, and then just explain to us where you are in your raising cycle, a bit about the business and where you are in the raising cycle. And I want you to just explain to us the context between you as a startup um, and you know why you're talking to VCs and what that dynamic is like. Uh, my name's Luke, and I'm having the time of my life at the show this morning. <laughs> Tomorrow I'll be up at 6 on ETV for my first time, so a bit nervous. Um, we have been angel-backed to date. I, I did the same as you. I didn't have 3 million bucks. I had 600,000 bucks. It was literally my, my pension fund and my bonus and some prize money. And I got to the point where I was eating two-minute noodles before I asked for investors for cash. So I, I left a lucrative job at Standard Bank. And th that's so important. A lot of people want to run an experiment with somebody else's money. Um, and it's actually so much easier to attract angels when you say, well, I wanted to die for this and I'm going to win with or without you. Do you want to come along for the ride? And we've been fortunate that we've raised 13 million bucks to date with angels. Um, for the last 24 months, we were raising at a 200 mil valuation. Um, then I went to Amsterdam on the discovery trip. I was in San Francisco um, and uh, got a wake up call um, in Amsterdam. They're like, well, South Africa's actually got the same GDP as the Netherlands. So technically, you have just as much money in South Africa as we have here. So if your VCs don't want to back you there, well, why should we back you here? And then also in the States, they're like, either move your company here or make sure you've got your top VC on board there. So in order to unlock big names like Experian or Microsoft or Facebook as, as investors, they were like, well, get your best guy on board first. And these are actually the two best folks in the country. Andrea came to, to vet me on behalf of Drape again. And... Unfortunately, we were you, you put your own cash in the business, and, and then you got angels, which are pretty much all crazy people as well, but they're not stupid people. Um, a, a very prominent CEO, which I won't mention their name, he said, you know, everybody's actually a sheep, even the guys at the top. Like, they're looking for social signals. So the more super smart and intelligent people you can get involved, there's that theory, well, there's a lot of due diligence that has been done. So I, I personally took a massive social hit by even entertaining the likes of, of a VC firm based on valuation. So, so Clive's team was willing to give us a 50 more valuation because they were measuring based on, on revenue, but they didn't acknowledge that we had pilots, we have RFPs with uh, Vodacom, with MTN, uh, we, we have buildings live, we have full-time staff on board, we've built up a tech stack, we've got lots of users on the platform, and like even on your revenue stream, Benji, like if, if you pull in a, like a hat out of the box, like Microsoft built software when people were dealing with hardware. Uh, Henry Ford built the motor car when people were trading horses. Uh, you're building something out of nowhere. So the fact that you've got all those fleets, like people are like, oh, what are you doing? You're building 15 business models. I've been tuned shitlessly. They're like, oh, Luke, you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this. I'm like, no, you don't say to Visa and MasterCard, how come you're in shoes now? Oh, why are you in bread and milk now? How come you're in vegetables now? Why are you in cars? They're like, no, we're in fucking payments. We don't care what you're buying, who you're buying it from, when you're buying it, we're in payments. So for us, we're in generic. Whenever you fill out a form and, and supply documents, whether you get in a bank account, a cell phone contract, going to the hospital, security estate, um, whether you're at an airport, whether you're renewing your car license disc, it's just you're filling out a document, you're providing things, can you tap a button and poof, it's done. And it's been super frustrating. Like, I feel like I've been talking to a brick wall, but fortunately, the brick wall is you not You have 13 back. million. You have not been talking to a brick wall. But, okay. but all, all they want to see is, no, focus, 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 get one customer. And like, I am focusing, but sometimes you've got to actually create your customers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I just want to take a question from these two gents here at the back. Who are they again? Bench? Cash uh, and Calm Shield, ex-Boston Consulting Consultants. 
Cool. So I just want to know where are you guys in your res and what question do you have for Kiet and, uh, and Clive? Okay, I'll take, uh, I'll take the question. Um, so we've just uh, undergone a massive redevelopment of our technology. Uh, we've piloted last year. Um, so we're just about to, actually in the process of launching and building up that traction record. Um, and we're finalizing the application, first going through government um, funding, Department of Trade and Industry, going for the non-repayable loans first. Can you just hold the mic a bit closer to your mouth, please? Thanks. Sure. Um, yeah, going for the government funding first. Um, and now I want to actually start the conversations with the VCs to let them know look, we're in the space where we're at, uh, what's the visions, what's the plans. Um, but question would be, um, yeah, what's, uh, how do we set up that first conversation? And I mean, it really is just a more of an exploratory conversation at the, at the moment. Thank yeah, you. I think, you know, it's, I'll just take it before Kit, but um, one of the bits of advice when I spent time in Silicon very many years ago was, you know, Meet your investors before you need the money. That's the best time to meet your investors. And I think Kier's absolutely right. These cold emails that just come in, it's not that you want to be rude. You just don't have the, the bandwidth. You just don't have it. So for us, it's no problem. I'll give you my card. We'll have a cup of coffee. I've now met you. I have a lot of respect for people that learned their trade in consulting because I think consulting is a phenomenal, phenomenal MBA that you can get in the, in the work environment. I think it teaches you marketing, sales, ops. It teaches you the great stuff to become an entrepreneur. I know that's where I learned all my, all my skills was in, in the consulting environment and enabled me to build probably 100 businesses throughout my career. So typically what, what I say is, you know, meet your investor before you actually need the capital. Tell them what you're doing. The other thing I learned in Silicon Valley is we don't invest in dots, we invest in lines. So if I meet with you, you tell me where you are, you're just building your product, you just rebuilt your product, I put a little dot on the, on the horizontal and vertical axis. You tell me you're going to have six clients in three months, and in three months you come meet me, you say, Clive, I actually haven't got six clients, I've got nine clients, and I'm doing 200,000 rands worth of revenue. I've just put the second dot in there, and the time that thing becomes a line, I'm writing you out a check. So that's the best advice I can actually give you. And I don't think that's just with me. I think it's with any VC. Meet them, tell them where you are, exceed the expectations, and I'll tell you something, they'll be knocking on your door. You won't be knocking on their door. That's my, but I will give you a card anyway. Let's have a chat. <laughs> but at, at the same place I met Benji, at Tasha's Hard Park. <laughs> so that's why people come to the Matt Brown shows for deal flow, basically, right? <laughs> so, uh, Kiet, what would what's your response to, to that question? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I definitely, that, that is why you come to the Matt Brown show and any of these other things. So people can say what they want about these ecosystem evenings and, and, and stuff to learn but and, and about targeted networking and all the rest of it. But at the end of the day, you VCs generally, and, and not, not, I mean, it, there's a survey done, South African VCs, 93% of their deal flow come from within their network. Now, that sounds like very um, old boys club-esque, but it's not really. Your network is things like tonight. It is things like Twitter. It is things, I mean, we're not that closed, you know, so, but, but as Clive said, get to know us a little bit. And we've got many examples. Entrepreneurs always forget that as passionate as they are about, you know, empty trucks and filling them with coal and thinking about these things all day. I'm that passionate about the journey of an entrepreneur. So at the end of the day, when an entrepreneur sends me a little newsletter without asking for money to say, this is where we are now. And three months later that we've just got our first client and three months, you know, like we read that stuff because that, that is my passion. I love that stuff. So at, at some point, you know, I mean, there's many examples of people researching you. I mean, we had a, a very interesting example of uh, three years ago or so, so, you know, our office 
kind of someone rocked up at our office, knocked on the door, and it was an entrepreneur. And we're like, oh, shit, they found us. Now we can't avoid this meeting. Um, and they were like, um, no, no, yes, we just actually bought you some champagne. And they took a champagne bottle or, or, or a few of them and they put their company logo and label and, and phone number and Twitter handle on the, on, the, on, the lo- on the thing. And they basically said, listen, guys, we're not here for a meeting. We're, just, we're not here. We don't even need five minutes of your time. We're just here to drop off some champagne because we, we can see that Knife Capital likes to celebrate. In fact, at the back of the wall, there is my champagne train of my infographic of, of, of how successful the years have been. So those are champagne corks. But anyway, so they just said, listen, we've just launched our startup and we just thought you guys should know. Bye. <laughs> Mystery. So, you know, and I was like, shit, this, the, 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 this is, I mean, we don't even know what they do yet. We just, we just I mean, flattered by, the, by the, the fact that these oaks know their target market so damn well that we know that they're going to flip and succeed. And they did. But, um, but I'm, you know, so, so that's just a bit of a story to, to say that um, it isn't that difficult to get into these networks and to bump into people at a conference or whatever the case may be. And then it's much easier sending that mail the next week, say, hey, Clive, I bumped into you last week at, or we, we had a glass of wine or whatever at the Matt Brown Show evening. Do you, do you mind having a coffee for me to follow up that conversation? It's going to be damn hard for Clive to say no. Cool. I just want to um, get a view from Mr. P.E. in the room. <laughs> oh, you, he's who, entrepreneur. Who's the, who's the P.E. guy? The youngster. Oh, the youngster. Sorry, yeah. Can I, can I just pass the mic over to him, if you don't mind? So, so we've got the VC's view. What are you looking for? If, like, Matt Brown from Matt Brown Media comes to you for a pitch, I'm not really VC ready. I'm not really a VC money because I'm not really tech enabled. I'm not the Airbnb of the logistics industry like Benji is, bless her. Um, I'm a media company. I come to you. I want to raise capital from you, Mr. PE, private equity. What story is the story that you're looking for? There we go. So um, we typically invest in more mature businesses. As I said earlier, uh, we like to call our capital growth capital, as been mentioned earlier. So a typical business that will approach us would already have been in existence for a number of years and would be profitable, looking for capital to, to grow their businesses, expand maybe into, um, in new, into a new market or grow capacity. Um, yes, uh, because we, because of the funding we have, and just the effort that goes into investing in into single businesses and a, sort of a portfolio that we run, we we typically look at much bigger businesses. Um, so a typical investment would be a few hundred million. Um, hundred million, right? Well, it it ranges from say 150 to 250 million, with with options to to invest a lot more. Um, but yes, generally it's more mature businesses uh, that's profitable. Cool. So for the guy, so just do you want to say anything? Can yeah. I comment on yeah, that? Yeah, go for it. So what if I challenge you and I say, well, all the investments that you've made out of your PE firm, either you want to restructure them, turn them around, make them profitable so you can exit, etc. But you're here actually to identify a technology <coughs> that can help your traditional business investment go to the whole next level such as us with Remgro and the rail business. I think if PEs had more that view that actually if we enable these small little investments that can unlock so much value of our traditional established investments out of our fund, it's a whole different ball game. 
So just something to think about and some out of mouth because I think there's a lot of potential for the PEs to actually venture just a little bit into the early stage sector. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> so, so I have to ask just one question before we move on. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, is uh, what I want to get the panelists' views, uh, please, about the entrepreneur who's not VC ready. He's clearly not PE ready. He's not a 20 year old business, right? But he's, you know, he's Matt Brown. He's doing some cool stuff. You know, he's getting, making some cash. He can build a filler room. You know what I mean? Uh, so, wink, wink. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So, I mean, like for the guy, for the business, the man or the woman listening to us right now, watching us on YouTube, please keep send your, keep sending your questions in, guys. Um, what do you say to, to them? I mean, I'm not VC ready. I need capital. Like, what are my options? And if there was one that you would pick, like, as in, like, just do it, like, do this thing before you even consider anything else, like, at least spend some time doing this one thing. Uh, like, what is that one thing? I think, let me, let me ask the one thing, uh, uh, Matt. I think the key thing to me is, and, and I keep saying it as well, if we really believe in, in the entrepreneur, we like the entrepreneur. I mean, uh, Luca is a, is a great example. We like the entrepreneur. We want to help them scale their business even before we put cash in. Because there's two reasons. It's, it's beneficial for us because we de-risk it. It's beneficial for the entrepreneur because we leverage our networks, our experience, our ability to sell, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's the number one thing is let us help you scale your business. Then we'll put money into it because then we've de-risked our business and you've grown your business over the back of someone that you haven't paid a cent to. So I think that's the clever way of doing that. But we're only going to do that in all honesty with entrepreneurs we believe in. If it's someone who's got a business that we don't believe is ever going to get to a 10x, yes, I'll open a door, but I'm not going to spend personal time in a sales meeting with, uh, with, uh, you know, with one of the biggest corporates in South Africa. I just don't have the bandwidth to do that. So entrepreneurs I believe in, or we believe in as a, as, a, as, a, as a company, we will definitely spend our time in helping them. Because I think they also, we can talk about smart capital and you need to have active capital and, and not passive capital. But you actually have to action like entrepreneur is actually doing it, showing them that you're smart capital, don't talking about smart capital. And getting into a meeting with the big red uh, telecommunications company is what I call smart capital. We, we prepare to get our hands dirty and get involved. But the one bit of advice I'd give them, I tell you, it's, it comes back to traction. It comes back to focus. I think number one, well, for me, any scale, any business, and I know a lot of entrepreneurs will disagree with that, but to me, every business I've built, I've taken it and focus, 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 focus. Focus on being the best at one thing. Don't try and do too many things. I mean, I'll take a good example. Take, take Google as an example. Google built a business. 90% of Google's revenue today is still AdWords. 90%. How did they become, before they went into Glass and Waze and this one and that one, they went vertically they, they drill down deep, so rather go down deep, drill for, for oil or for gold, than trying to flit across too many mines. So focus is absolutely critical in scaling a business. Once you've scaled it and you've become the best of something, you can go and do whatever else you want to do because you've got cash flow to fund it. You don't have to fund it out, out of investors' money. So the number one thing for me, honestly, if you've got all the other things, focus, 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 focus. The five top things. Yeah, uh, most startups, by the way, starve in indigestion because they're doing so many different things. It's very easy exactly. to get distracted. I was so guilty of that in the first 18 months. It took, literally took me, because uh, I'm not a fast learner like most of you in the room, but it took me like 18 months to actually work out what I was building. It literally took that long. It's crazy. Benji, what's your advice? What's, what should the guy or girl do you know, if they're not VC ready? Where, they, where should they go get their funding? What's your advice to them? So... Um Sure, that's a hard one. If you can't find the funding, you know, prostitute yourself. I still consult, same thing. 
Um, customer funding is a great opportunity if you can actually persuade clients to pay for something that's so new and nouveau and they're not quite sure on your value proposition just yet. Um, what we did really well is we created a second revenue stream in a neighboring industry. So, yes, focus, 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 but it's still you need to create a revenue that complements your business, that is relative to your business, but you never really realize it's going to be a little cash cow. So we went into pay-as-you-move cargo insurance because we move cargo or we match cargo. Um, you want to say something? <laughs> so... That's one way, but I literally relied on my old skills and I created a company called C-Pitch, which is still management consulting, and I commit a day to two days a week on that. And that's a little cash um, builder for me personally, so I can ensure that I can keep paying my, my team salaries, even though I am backed by an investor. I keep building a little savings account because if that money runs out and I still need those that year to get to break even because you're working on a scalable business, that means it's high volume, low margin, unfortunately. Unfortunately, right? And until you can white label your product because you haven't built that technology that is stable enough yet because you built it cheap and reactively, you know, you need to have a little bank, a little, little, little cash cow on the side. So I think knowing where the first money is going to come from, where you're going to find money if you don't get backed because you need to have a plan B, and three, are you really chasing the right capital or how quickly can you get to break even that you don't need to speak to the VCs, like I said earlier. But, yeah, that's all nice to have. Let me just add to that, uh, I think, going back to your question. So let's talk technology now for a second because I think one of the things most people that build a technology business, they've got exceptional skills at something and they can consult. So you have to worry about what falling into what I call the services trap, that you become a services business and no venture capitalist is going to invest in a services business. Why? Because they don't scale. Anyway, you scale a services business like Accenture or BCG is about people. People don't scale. Then you hire them and then you have to fire them when, they, when, you know, when the business goes bad. So we don't invest in services businesses. But a very good way for a young entrepreneur who's building a tech business, go and spend one or two days like Benji, earn some great cash flow and fund this, this product business from cash flow. Just don't get stuck in the trap of starting to live that great, great life that you start becoming a services business. Nothing wrong with that, but it's not a venture capital investable business. Rather, use that time and money. And once you've got the product and you can start replicating the product because that's a scalable business model, turn it into a product business with 5% services and 95% uh, product. But that's how you can actually scale a business. The trouble is when that, that thing is reversed and you're selling 5% selling product, 95% services, no sophisticated venture capitalist is going to invest in you. Gotcha. Kiet, what's your advice there? Yeah, I think maybe more more practical advice. I mean, if you if you're not really ready for VC yet, I mean, I don't want to fall back on the traction thing, but just go and um, Michael Jordan um, tweeted an, a very nice fast company article uh, earlier today about venture capitalists and traction. So go have a look at that. But um, it is a little bit about finding what your strategy is, what are the key metrics that you need to grow in, and growing them fairly aggressively to show to show that. But in terms of other routes of funding, I mean, obviously, generally, security is a problem. So traditional bank funding is, is, is not necessarily a, um, an option. But there are other more royalty-based funders or some risk funders like business partners, which are not quite as aggressive as VC. And, and, and you know, some of the banks are coming to the parties on, on interesting products, specifically if you've got a BE angle to your, to your business and so forth. So I think one has to also recognize that there are some, some traditional funders. However... The best way to do it is either to, to bootstrap um, while you're building traction in the right 
angles and, and bootstrapping. I mean, Benji mentioned it. We've all done it. I mean, there's no there's no harm in, in in selling hours for a living in terms of. I mean, even us as VCs, you know, had to go and do a due diligence on a company that's not part of us, so that someone can pay us for it, or do a valuation on a company here, also to to augment the the business model of VC if your fund is not big enough yet. So from that perspective, do that. And the concept of marketing as a profit center. Now that sounds quite interesting. But if you provide training, for instance, on, on how to raise funding or, or whatever in, in our game or in, in, in terms of how to scale a business as Matt Brown or whatever the case may be, you know, it is on the one hand um, an interesting business model, but on the other hand, it's marketing as a profit center. So, so there are ways to, to, to do this. And I mean, you know, you know we've just to, to, in my last thing, maybe to, to interlude a little bit into our um, exit that we announced last week of a company called Order Talk, which was a restaurant online restaurant ordering business. We invested 9 million rand in 2008 um, for, a, for a minority stake, but a fairly large minority stake in the business. And we exited that to Uber um, now. And, and really, it was one of our favorite success stories, not only because of the returns on investment, but also because we closed the HBD fund. It was a 150 million rand fund, and this was the last exit in a fund, which um, we have had a few investments in that exited well, one to General Electric, one to Visa, and now one to Uber. So that's a, that's a hell of a good track, rec- track record. Yeah, clap Last it <laughs> Thanks, man. But luck, luck, luck played its part. And I mean, I'm, I'm not sure how, how scalable and repeatable that is, but uh, we will pretend that we can do it again and again. Um, but <laughs> the point of that business, firstly, it was customer funded. So one of the things that we loved about the business, if you solve a real problem, um, and we always say, look for the problem, and is there a real problem in the market? And, and their first customer really loved that problem of online ordering um, software integrated with point of sale system and that so much that they said, we will pay you for a year upfront. Because they said, look, we, we can only build this if we have the money and we don't have the money and we bootstrapped so we can't raise VC. And they said, listen, I'll pay you upfront. Um, so, so, so that's, I mean, for us, it was like, geez, like, so this, this customer paid you upfront. That's quite interesting. I mean, it's a very early stage business when we invested. And, and that was one of the things that pushed us over the edge to say, well, shit, I mean, there must be a real problem if the customers are, 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 are willing to do this. It's easier said than done. I mean, you know, I think, I think customers, especially some in South Africa, are maybe not that dynamic, but, um, but yeah, so I think those concepts, you know, go, go look at the funding ecosystem of there's some good governance initiatives. If you've got enough time and, and enough uh, printer ink to print out all the paperwork and, and fax it to government, but I'm sure you can get some, some nice R and D incentives and so forth. Then there are some interesting funders in the early stage, your network and the angels and so forth. But the reason why funding is important just to close off the funding thing is sometimes you can't wait for bootstrapping your business for two or three years because the puck would have moved. You know, the whole point of venture capital funding is to say, you've got an interesting idea that needs to scale fast. I've got a checkbook and there's a window of opportunity. You would love to keep your equity and and own 100% of your business. But to be quite honest, 100% of your business won't be as valuable as 74% of your business would be if we can fast track this whole thing. You know, so so people said, why should I give 26% of my business away? Well, shit, you shouldn't give anything away. You should exchange that for value in terms of networks, knowledge, funding that you can bring in, 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 into, into the mix. So it is supposed to be a symbiotic relationship. 
which only works in certain scenarios. Sometimes the valuations don't work and then you don't have to be mad at each other. I mean, I rejected a business um, over the weekend, which I, I would love to have. It's a, it's be a trophy, one of the best startups our country has to offer. Um, but when I do my calculations and the probability of where they would be in year four or five from now, it's just not as aggressive as they would think it is, which obviously translates itself back into the valuation metrics. And I just said to them, listen, would love to love you guys. As you know, I'm a big supporter, but this is more or less where my valuation range is. You know, this is where yours is. And if you get to our valuation range, yeah, well, then we'll be interested. Cool. Thanks, guys. That concludes. I'll take your question just in the Q&A session at the end. I need to move forward. Um, but uh, but basically, let's move to the second part of the show, right? So this is about formulas to scale. And this is, I really want to just kind of touch on some kind of practical stuff that anyone can can apply in their businesses if they choose to scale. Because remembering, scale is not for everyone, right? So um, I want to start with Benji. So you've got this really rad framework. And if you are taking notes, suggest getting your pens out and stuff like that. Um, Craig from Pringle Bray, uh, Pringle Bay rather in um, Cape Town. I'll take your question in a second, dude. Um, but can you share, what is it called? And just walk us through the headlines because I really love this as a framework. Oh, I'm a formula. So um, we heard Clive earlier was four P's, four C's, four E's. I think it's a consulting thing. <laughs> Must be. <it. laughs> so I have the five E's to scale. Um and it's a very new thing, so if I kind of forget halfway through, just let me be I am blonde. So firstly, have an explicit purpose. So be very clear on your why and your what you're trying to solve and what you're trying to do and why you're doing it. And it's a bigger, big addressable market and all these good things. Um, then have an effective model. And what I mean by the effective model is it makes financial sense. And you're going to reach sustainability sooner rather than later. Because the sooner you can fund yourself, the better. And bootstrap and all those beautiful things. Um, then I would say the third one is um, execution. No, what did I say? Execution um, support. And that is truly just being having the right team behind you, executing very quickly and very fast. You don't always need to be perfect. It just needs to be done. To uh, quote Sheryl Sandberg, just get it done because done is better than perfect. Why? Because then you're first. If you're first to market, you can ideally stay ahead. So that's a very viable one. And then there's en enveloped competition. So enveloped competition is what I mean by you actually work with your ecosystem. You work with other startups, maybe in your own space. They could potentially be competitors or they could be supporting um, um, technologies. And also, like I said, we started an insurance play. Um, that's a neighboring industry. So it's competition. And what that did is it opened me up to a whole bunch of other CEOs that are willing to introduce me to my core client CEOs. So enveloped competition is very key. And then just emotional resilience. Um, being an entrepreneur is pretty shit at times. Okay. Um, I'm a lot skinnier than what I was when I was at BCG. I don't eat fancy dinners anymore with my clients. Um, 
So sometimes you just need to drink a whole lot of cement pools and maybe all kinds of other pools, but you need emotional resilience. It's not for the faint-hearted. So yeah, those are my five E's to scaling or just to building a business. Uh, Clive, thanks, Benji. I really love that. Um, Clive, can we just get your views? Like, is there a formula to scale? I mean, do absolutely. You, is there is there one? Okay, what absolutely. Is it? So well, I'd love to know what it is. I think, you know, it's important to know this. You know, maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago, there was no playbooks about how you build businesses. You know, you just have to go out there and trial and error and pin the, the tail on the, do- the, the pin the tail on the donkey or whatever you call it. Does That's the, the way you built it, trial you, and error. Can you find the formula on Google? Let me tell you where you can find the formula. So in my <laughs> very first few years at Accenture, I was mentored and trained by the guy who started the EO organization, a guy called Vern Harnish. Now, he's written a book called Scaling, Scaling Up, and... I've probably, as I said, maybe it's not quite 100, maybe it's 90 businesses, but what, fortunately in my consulting life, I really worked in Silicon Valley and Israel and India and all over the world building these startups and used the same formula. And I had a strategy session with one of my companies, now we've just bought, and we did exactly the same thing. There's four things to scaling a business, uh, besides what, um, what Benji said. I absolutely agree with what Benji said. But for me, this, you, when you scale a business, number one, you've got to scale people. Because what you have to do, most entrepreneurs, when you start as an entrepreneur and you've got a three, four, five-man business, you're the sales, you're the marketing, you're the ops, you're the tech, you're the, you're the everything. And you take out the dustbins, and you do the finances, and you do everything. That's not scalable. You cannot scale that. So when, it's four things. So let me go through the four quickly, and I'll come back to what each of them mean. First, you've got to scale team. You've got to scale team. You've got to hire leaders into your organization, not followers. People that you can delegate to and they will get the job done. And if you don't hire leaders, it's going to end up on your plate and you're just not going to be able to scale your business. The number thing, second thing you've got to scale, you've got to scale strategy. Strategy is team. Number two is strategy. Number three is execution. Number four is cash flow. So if you don't get those four things right, now the, the first three, in all honesty, you can sort of get right, that can be okay. But the fourth one you don't get right, you die. Because why do most businesses fail? It's, it, it is a, it's, a, it's, it's a symptom of a problem, but they run out of cash, they can't pay payroll, and they're dead, and they go to business. They go <coughs> so those four, if you can understand those four things, get the team right, hire the best team on the planet. You have to get the best team. So typically what you find is, and I, and I found this from my experience of all these businesses I've worked in, people when they hire, they hire for, for, for lack, of, lack of weaknesses. Now, I think what's absolutely critical when you hire people in a startup, you hire for strengths, not for lack of weakness. So if you want a marketing person, hire them for the best marketing person. It doesn't matter if they're the biggest schlemiel, but you hire them because they're the best marketing person. But what we find in most people, they just hire for lack of weakness. So what you've got is someone that's sort of okay at everything, but actually good at nothing. So when you scale a business, your team, you've got to find the best marketing person, the best sales person, the best ops person, the best tech person, the best finance people, the best et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's absolutely critical. You know, they say that one great hire is equal three average hires. And I, from all the businesses I've worked in, it's absolutely true. You might pay them 20% more, but you get five times productivity from the right people. So what I always say to people and what I've learned from my business, hire slowly and fire fast. What do we normally do? We hire too quickly and we never fire because it's hard, right? Wrong answer. You've got to be able to hire quickly, I mean hire slowly, and you've got to fire fast. So you've got to build that best, best team. Hire for strengths and not for lack of weaknesses. And what you've got to do as the CEO, if you're the founder, if you're really good at marketing, then, and you're not good, and you've got to accept the maturity that, that I think Benji talks about is to know what your weaknesses are. If you're not great at, at back office stuff, which I'm pathetic as, as an example, hire the best CEO that can go and do the job for you so, because it's stressful. It's stressful to try and do work that you don't you – might, you might even be good at it, but you don't enjoy it. It's stressful. It takes your time. It actually stresses you out. And in all honesty, it doesn't add any value to the business. 
Number two is strategy. You've got to find a differentiated strategy, both a short-term strategy and a long-term strategy. It comes back to your mission statement and your vision statement and blah, 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 but you've got to know where you're going to be. Because if you don't know where you're going to be in five years, any road's going to take you there. You've got to have a BHAG, what they call it in the consulting industry is the big, hairy, audacious goal. You've got to have that. That's a McKinsey terminology. You've got to have that BHAG, and then you've got to work towards that BHAG. Because what you must remember, success, when you, when you, day one you start a business, you know, in five years' time I'm going to be a, a billion rand business. You think success is a straight line from where you are today to where it is. What it actually does is, is this, and then down and up and sideways. Success, that's unfortunately the way it happens. But you need a good strategy to do that. Third thing, you've got to have flawless execution. Absolutely brilliant execution. Because the, at the end of the day, if you don't execute correctly, for one, you're going to learn by trial and error, and it's too expensive. And whether it's your own capital or whether it's a venture capitalist money, no one wants to pay your school fees in terms of execution. You've got to surround yourself, I think like Benji's done, with a very, very good team. And not necessarily even your full-time team, just your advisors. You know, one of the things I learned in, in, in business many years ago, you know, if you can stand on the shoulders of giants that have been there before you, Find those people that have walked that road. They've made all the mistakes already. They've got all the scars on their back. Just find out from them. You can, if you can do that, you can compress what it took them years and years and years to build up. And you can compress it into months, weeks, days, even hours. You can compress that 20, 30 years of learning into two hours that takes your business in that straight line instead of that squiggly thing and, and, and doing it. And lastly is you absolutely have to watch every cent you spend. You know, they say you must watch people how they spend their money in the good days because that's how they're going to spend their money in the, in, the, in the bad days. In the good days, that's how they're going to spend them in the bad days. And frugality for me as a venture capitalist or even every business I've built, I've always been frugal. Whether it was a million rand business or a hundred million rand business, you build it frugally. You don't need to drive the Rolls Royce. When you exit your business like Kia just did, they'll drive their Rolls Royces now, <laughs> in all honesty. But that's the four things. There's playbooks out there. There's the, 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 the lean startup. Guys, there's, there's enough good stuff out there. You don't have to reinvent this wheel. The Steve Blank stuff, the Eric Ries stuff. I'm sure you entrepreneurs have all heard that stuff. It's brilliant. What I like to see as an entrepreneur, as a, everyone says the business plan, I want to see a business plan. I actually don't care about your business plan. I might want to see an exact summary. I want to see your business map. I want to see the business model. Uh, that's then I understand you know your business. You know how you're going to get customers, how you're going to make money, you know, who your channels are, who your distribution channels are. That to me is far more important than a 75-page business plan, which I guarantee you, and I'm sure I've got ADD, I will never read, and I never have. Ask my CEO who's sitting over there. And I can't read three pages without going into a, in, in, into, a, into a stressful situation. So you've got to know, your, don't waste your time writing these 100-page business plans. They're important, but they're important for you to understand how you're going to get from A to B. That is important, but not for a venture capitalist. They're, they're honestly not going to read the stuff. Love it. Kids, do you own a Rolls Royce? <laughs> No, I'm not a car guy. Um, I'm more of a, a Harley Davidson and a, and, a, and a boat guy. So no. Jeez, so you got cash and you cool, hey? <laughs> wow. What's the tri What's the third thing, dude? <laughs> uh, there's, there's, there's nothing more. Listen, um, yeah. So I think I think I agree with all of it. Maybe just add, not to repeat. Um, I think the for us, it's very important from a from a scalability perspective. Um, I mean, the, the, the really only thing is looking at the execution ability of an entrepreneur who has a good product and a hell of a large market for that product. Then from our perspective, we, we, look, we, we start with the end game in my mind. We really need to figure out where this is all going. I mean, Clive alluded to it, but just to, to, to kind of really add, for us, it's not so much about goal setting and this and that. It's really about sitting down with the entrepreneur generally, we take them up to the West Coast in, in, in our due diligence and, and basically literally sit down and, 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 and ask them, where, where, 
is it that you personally want to be? Now, now forget now that you're pitching to us or whatever. As a shareholder in this business or future common shareholder, what are we doing? Where are we headed? Because, I mean, you can't develop strategy, whether it's now scaling aggressively and, and, and that without understanding where you, what you're aiming for, because that then becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy, which you might or might not get right, but every journey ends. And that journey in our venture capital strategy life is the journey where this business, we either sell it back to management, it dies, or we give the shares back to the guys saying, look, this opportunity cost, this thing's going nowhere. For us, managing this business on the board is too much. So, you know, have your shares back, and we all agree that the VCs lost money on this one. Um, and or I've, mainly from a South African perspective, a strategic exit, so a sale to a strategic partner. But we need to figure out what that is because, you know, then we can we can say to the entrepreneur, listen, okay, so we know, we know that because we've been there. We know exactly what we're going to do in the first couple of days after exit, we're going to wake up from our hangover and then we're going to maybe release a press release or whatever. And then before that, we're going to stress about some condition precedent, some, some legal issues are going to creep up. We're going to fight around escrow and where, and whether it's South African law or Delaware law, or how, how all that's going to work in, in there. And the three months before that, there's going to be a sell side due diligence. We're going to be fighting with the IP lawyers coming down from, from, um, from uh, Switzerland or from, uh, uh, you know, wherever they come from, you know, we've had a few from mainly, mainly from those interesting companies like, like, uh, well, so it's mainly Europe, but Delaware, wherever, and we're going to fight with them around, is this IP really worth something? And then, and, 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 and that brings us back to today. So today we need to do certain things so that we have some poker chips in our table, not to bring that, um, letter of intent figure of a few million dollars down to less million dollars. And we are going to give you those tools, but if we're not on the same page, then maybe you're just a good business and not a VC investable business. So my last point about this, and I don't have the five E's or the four T's or, or whatever the case may be, but the startup genome project really tried to look at why businesses, why startups fail to scale and really looked at, 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 at those things. And they, they didn't, they couldn't find it back to the DNA of, of startupness. They basically found that, it's because of the lack of five things not growing at the same time. So the scale, scaling a business is not just about scaling the hell out of a business. It's about scaling five things at the same time. And those five things are the customers, the product, the team, the business model, and the funding. So you, need to, you can't scale the team too fast without having the money to pay them or a plan for that. Or you can't have too much money and not knowing really what to do with it. Or, you know, the business model need to be right. But if you, if, you, if you can kind of more or less grow those five things in the same proportion to each other, then, um, then you're on the route to a, a, a scalable business that's, uh, that can execute. Love it. Thanks, guys. That was rock star stuff. Um, does anyone have any questions for the panel before we move on to the final section? This gent here. Okay, go for it. Just hold the mic close to your mouth, please. Cool. Can you, can you hear me? Um, so, so I have a view, and the, the panel must agree with me, but I don't think anybody should go to VCs for funding. Um, I have a different view on it, and people will be like, why the hell are you still entertaining the VCs if it's, if it's at a low valuation? I like to think of it as if you want to get into a nightclub, they use money as a filter fee. Just because you've paid for university admission doesn't mean you got the degree. So the same way you would have a co-founder, which you give 20 or 30% equity to because they would do heavy lifting for you, I think you should look at the VCs in that way that they bring the experience and they open the networks and distribution channels and they are paying for the right to effectively be your co-founder. 
And so they should not be your first point of funding. Once you've made it, you should go to them as a strategic co-founder. That's, that's at least the way I look at it. So then to Keith and to Clive is to say, am I batshit crazy or am I on the right path? I think that's no, I think, I, think right. I would like, I, I, amen. I'd love to think you're on the right path because it'll help me with my valuation debates with these, with the, with the, with the businesses. But um, just to just to echo, just to echo that. So we had a, um, we invested in a business um, recently called um, Skill Up, which is a, a sort of a tutoring platform. And um, we had a, it was about a month ago, but last week we had a, because um, we finally could get all the shareholders together. We had sort of a bit of a celebration dinner and in the in the dinner speech we, we said to them listen guys we are all sitting around this table because of a certain check that we could write so that's why we're here but the only reason why how you're going to respect us being around this same table in a year's time from now is if we bring you clients and we know that and we will endeavor or try or die by the sword as any of you guys as a as a as a as a, as a semi um, adopted co-founder. So I think from that perspective, you don't, you don't want to overplay like we're going to overpromise and add so much value and all the rest of it. But yeah, people come to us because there's perceived money, but, um, but people believe in us and grow with us because we can actually bring them market access. And that's the only thing that counts. Can I just add one thing to that, Kit? And I think you alluded to it earlier about uh, you found a great business the other day. They, had, they ticked every single box except the valuation box. And my advice to entrepreneurs, in all honesty, and particularly, particularly entrepreneurs that have been to America and seen these absolutely ridiculous valuations that are taking place in the U.S. Now, when you've got a $5 billion fund like Sequoia, in all honesty, to put $10 million into the thing is actually too small. It's like the petty cash change. So we're not American VCs. We don't have that sort of capital. We cannot. If you want to raise that sort of capital at that sort of pre-money or post-money valuations, go somewhere else and try and raise it. But I think the point Luke made here is a very important point. It's not how much equity you own. It's what the end value of your equity is. That is the most important for you as an entrepreneur. Now, we I don't know if it's the same deal that Keir's talking about. Had to walk away from a deal the other day. Great deal. Loved everything about this deal. I mean, every single box was ticked except the valuation was double ours. And we just, we were so far apart that I just said to the entrepreneur, you know, we're so far apart, it's actually no use even having this conversation. And we actually walked away from the deal. And in all honesty, if I think about the, the, the channels we could have opened to this business, I think if they'd taken our valuation, then in a year, their, their, their valuation would have been double, triple, four times what it would have been. But unfortunately, not everyone, I can say that they didn't see that. So the, 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 the highest valuation is not necessarily the right answer. And I'm saying this is a VC. Rather get the right VC, as Kurt was saying as well, if you get the right VC, and there's a few really good VCs in this country who can open the doors, not open doors, but help you understand how to scale a business. They can get in your strategy session. They can provide operational support, marketing, sales, everything. That's smart money, and that's the money you actually need. So if money might look the same, but let me tell you something, it's fundamentally different to who you get it from. Cool, fantastic. Are there any more questions before we move on to the final part of the show? Anyone? No? Okay, cool. Here we go. So let's talk tech. <laughs> uh, this is probably going to be quite an interesting one to have. Um, the least of which is that there's this whole thing called ICOs, right? Initial coin offerings. Um, yeah, sorry. We have to talk about this in the context of funding and also because this could, in theory, let's be honest, it has knocked the VC down the totem pole in Silicon Valley. Let's be honest, right? Um, dominated by scams uh, in many instances, but there are some viable options. In fact, Vinnie Lingham is coming on next, the next show in, in a week from now, you know, raised how many millions of dollars was it? Like 33 million? 33 million dollars. 33 million dollars. About four times that. 
No, it's probably worth four times that, right? So, so let's talk about technologies, and I want to start with blockchain. Um, scale in a distributed ledgers, total disruptive technology. I hate talking about candle stick chasing and the traders and all that kind of stuff. Been there, done that. Got the t-shirts. I'm literally wearing it. <laughs> um, but, uh, but Clive, I want just your view, blockchain. Um, what is the context for you that needs to be shared with our viewers and the guys in the room today around blockchain and the context of scale? Yeah, I think, well, actually, maybe my background's important as well. I'm a, I'm a computer science, mass applied, mass graduate, and then I headed up Accenture's technology business, about a 2,000 people business before I became the CEO of Accenture. So I have a, a very, very strong technology background. So I'm like a millennial, you know, I love little toys and gadgets. I'm like a 22-year-old running with all my, 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 my gadgets. So for me, blockchain, and, and, and I want to separate blockchain from cryptocurrency. Cryptocurrency to me is just going to Las Vegas and sticking your money on black and red. Now, I know everyone's not going to agree with me here, but it is not an established, it's not gold, it's not um, uh, fiat currency. It, and to me, it's gambling. So I'm not talking about cryptocurrency here. And I, I'm talking about blockchain. I'm talking about, now, I don't invest or we don't invest as Kalon in technology. We don't invest in artificial intelligence or blockchain or the cloud or, or robotics or machine learning or neuralistic programming. We don't invest in that. We invest in technology that solves problems. We care about the problem that's being solved. It must be a very large problem. It must be a very big problem. And customers are prepared to pay a bucket load of money to solve that problem. Now, blockchain enables many, many problems that you see in Africa and around the globe to be solved. Let's just take an example of what's happened recently in South Africa. De Beers has just developed a blockchain, uh, using the Ethereum blockchain, to track, if you look at the supply chain, ready to track the diamonds from the ground right through to when it's worn on, on Benji's ring. Yeah, that one there. And so that's an incredible use case. You could never now, the, the problem with diamonds is you get blood diamonds and you get all these type of diamonds that people won't buy because they, you know, the child labor and et cetera, et cetera. Now you can block that from cradle to grave, excuse the, 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 the word, but from cradle to grave, from where it was born to where it ends up, you can actually, you can track that diamond. Now that is a brilliant, brilliant use case for blockchain. Now without that distributed ledger, you would not be able to do that. To track the thing, the diamond that comes out of maybe, you know, the mining Botswana, in all honesty, and then lands up on someone's neck in maybe in the in the marriage that we had on, on the weekend in uh, in the UK. And that's who's wearing that diamond. It can actually track that thing. So if you look at the use case for blockchain from financial services to tracking um, uh, education to tracking uh, property ownership, it's just unbelievable. We couldn't solve this problem before. Blockchain now enables us to solve this problem. So I think blockchain, in my honest opinion, is going to be more transformative than the internet was in the, in the, in the 1990s, early 2000s. I don't think we ain't seen nothing yet from blockchain. I, I must be honest with you. I think we're at the first 5% of blockchain. If we talk about ICOs, in all honesty, ICOs, I think most people have missed the ICO bus because I think it was a year ago, everyone was going ballistic for ICOs. Scam, no scam, they were raising a bucket loads of money. Read the press now. It's a lot harder to raise money with RCOs because people are a lot more educated now. And I was speaking to an investor in, in Silicon Valley that day. They see, they see 100 RCOs, they might put a bit of money into one. And I don't think, I don't think uh, RCOs have disintermediated venture capital. I think RCOs have disintermediated venture capital in a blockchain venture. So it's really one little slither of venture capital is in a blockchain venture where you can raise money through an ICO. There's nowhere else you can raise money through an ICO. Crowdfunding, I'd say, is even a bigger thing that's this in, in, intermediated venture capital is crowdfunding opposed to, opposed to blockchain. So my view is blockchain's there to stay. I think there's going to be huge money made in companies that leverage the blockchain to solve significant problems. And most companies you talk to today, they're eventually going to move to a blockchain solution if it's a distributed ledger and you want to take it globally.
So Benji's bursting to say something. No, no, no. You're not. <laughs> are you sure? What's it? I mean, what are your? I mean, you were in Silicon Valley. I mean, how many of the startups that were competing in the World Cup for startups were blockchain enabled? Let's, for instance, there's like slang over there, right? Everyone's doing blockchain or something on blockchain or some crypto. Or it doesn't really matter to them. It's like second nature. I think uh, echo what Clive says. I think we haven't even tipped the iceberg yet with the potential of what it could do across industries, how it can disintermediate many service providers. That to me is very exciting. That's why we're building something of our own as well. And that is very much to also just build into the alliances that are already there. I mean, every single technology in here, every startup, you don't have to build your own blockchain capability. There are phenomenal developers out there already that you can be aligned with, that you can tap into and you can be the use case for. So you talk about the diamond um, through well, the diamond exchange for De Beers. We're already working with ShipChain um, and Beta in the transport industry, and that is to track the simplest things. We, we're going to track chickens, like literally what the chicken eats to when the chicken's on your table. So that's for the people that eat chickens. I don't want to track that, okay? But everything is, everything's got a supply chain, and what's in the middle of a supply chain? A transport exchange. So all of a sudden you disintermediate so much and you can track and trace and you can pull and push and all these phenomenal things. So from my perspective, I echo blockchain and the capability of the power of that network if people accept it and buy into it and align to it. But I'm not a fan of any Bitcoin or any cryptocurrency. Cool. I share those sentiments. Kit, what's your view on blockchain in the context of scale? Well, look, I mean, I'm not an applied mathematician and, and, and any of that. So I'm an emancipated accountant. Um, I do acknowledge that um, this is definitely disrupted. If you, you know, blockchain is full of buzzwords. So, so I think it's important. I mean, it's impossible to not use distributed ledger, disruption, um, blockchain, Bitcoin, all those type of things in the same sentence. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think luckily the VC value proposition is not money. It's not. It's, it, it isn't actually money. So it's it's basically smart money and 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 net, networks and and basically adding value. So I think from from that perspective, we need to definitely embrace and keep an eye on um, and 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 augment our business models with things like um, equity crowdfunding, with things like ICOs, and with with those type of things in terms of of so called disrupting the VC model. And you're right. It does it does disrupt the VC model. To an extent, but the VC model is also an 80-20 model. So possibly it disrupts the 80% VCs, which whose value proposition is we can give you money. But I think for the for the rest, you know, while, while we while we mustn't be complacent about it, I mean, if someone wants us for our money, they're the, they're the wrong investment anyway. Um, I think then I would agree with 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 Clive there just a little bit in, on the, on the on the application of it. I think we, we've only really scratched the surface, as all of us mentioned, but I think there, there's some really interesting things to invest in. And it becomes very difficult because to, to I mean, with the, this, these, this new world of things like AI and machine learning and blockchain and distributed ledger, it becomes very hard to do a due diligence and pretend that you actually understand the business model when these entrepreneurs are a hell of a lot more clever than you are. So I think from, from that perspective, it's an interesting space. But, um, but yeah, I mean... I think we touched on someone mentioned sheep earlier and, and, and VCs are a little bit like sheep. We like to invest in things there where there are um, white noise because of the fact that then 
um, there's a more of an exit market. You know, once there's a land grab strategy, and suddenly that 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 curve of um, of the life cycle of an of an industry becomes sort of where the shakeout happens, and people start acquiring other businesses and, and all the rest of it. Well, that's where you kind of get the big multi extra multiples because uh, because the acquirers are a little bit uh, desperate to get into the space. So I think that all plays very well into our, our business model of investing. Um, it's very difficult to quantify the risk, though. Cool. Um, any questions on blockchain before we move on? Anyone? Okay, cool. Um, I want to talk AI. So um, there was this great um, slide I saw. Uh, wasn't mine, but it was basically um, take the next ten thousand startups. The next ten thousand just add AI. Because that's how disruptive AI is as a tech, right? And how scalable it is in many, many, many use cases. Way more than, in theory, um, you know, blockchain uh, as a technology today. So, uh, Clive, if I can start with you. Um, I mean, are you looking for AI-enabled startups? I mean, there's, there's just so much to talk about in this space. Uh, but what's your view on AI? Yeah, I think, uh, again, uh, we're not looking for them because we look for you know, businesses that solve problems, but we are finding them left, right, and center. So we're seeing, in fact, we want to call today, there's Laurent, the CEO of Kalon, but we want to call today with an AI, uh, an AI company. This, the founder's actually in the UK talking to a couple of banks in the UK. I mean, they've got some really unbelievable disruptive tech. And I'll tell you, the, 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 for me, what's very important in a B2B environment, so this is a B2B environment, is about can you deliver a return on investment? So again, I'll sound like a consultant here, but if there's no ROI, I'm not going to invest in you. So if I can, they spend 100 million on the thing and they can replace 200 million in, in labor or in whatever else, there's a good ROI to invest in that. And I'll tell you, AI to me is going to be, I agree with you, it's far bigger the use cases than blockchain. I mean, if you look at medicine, if you look at, um, you look at robot, you look at drones, you look at any of those technologies today, they're embedding AI in them. And as with, and AI is with big data, analytics, and the faster processing power we're getting now with uh, NLP and with new quantum computing, when we get quantum computing and start processing data at a thousand, a million times faster than we can process it today, you can just think of the problems that we can actually solve. Billions and billions and billions of records of data that can be processed in point something of a second. So AR for me is going to, they are going to be big winners and they're going to be big losers, obviously. But I think it's gonna, it's, it's, it is absolutely transformative, whether across industry, whether in banking, insurance, retail, and I'm seeing, I see, I'm seeing use cases for, for all of these in, in using AI. Benji, you're actually already working with um, AI in, in empty trips. Um, how are you working with AI, and where do you see, or how do you see the role of AI helping you to scale empty trips? So the whole concept was based on the original artificial intelligence. Well, actually, it started with human intelligence. It was an algorithm that we wrote ourselves in Excel, and then we just optimized and optimized and optimized, and now we leverage technologies that are openly available through open source coding that help you further optimize your algorithms consistently. And also, if you start building your technology on scalable platforms, such as AWS, Azure, Google, etc. there's actually APIs available for you to further enhance your algorithms, your approaches, your processes, <clears throat> etc. For us in particular, because we try and map and match commodity trading volumes along routes to vehicles and the capacities available, that predictability of routes and trading behavior of commodity traders is very powerful. 
So we can predict, okay, China now wants to produce more of X, so reverse engineer those triggers to the mine. And because we're using IoT capabilities within the mines, we can trigger production at certain levels, stockpile, non-stockpile, open exchanges, etc. So all of a sudden you create these interconnected ecosystems using predictability and algorithmic matching and machine learning and reverse engineering all the way up to the source which is the farm or the mine. So it's very powerful if you can think and step back and look like look at it as an ego and say, holy smokes, this shit is amazing. But you need to know and you need to see the bigger picture. So, yeah, but I started with a human algorithm first and then we just leverage what's available and it's out there already and you don't have to build it. So AI in a nutshell is going to be pretty like key to your business moving forward, right? So if you are speaking to a VC and th that kind of stuff is what a VC is looking for, right? Which is like that moat, right? And AI can very quickly enable that. So um, when I was practicing my two-minute pitch for the Startup World Cup, that's not a lot of time, guys, just so you know that, um, I pitched it to my fiancé. And he's like, because I said, we use AI and machine learning. And he's like, what's AI? I'm like, oh, my God, are you joking? <laughs> but the reality is it is very powerful, but many people actually don't understand what it really is and what it means to apply it. And that made me think, sure, I actually need to rethink the way that I speak to VCs because AI might mean something very different to them. It might mean a computer um, only making the calculations, but I still need a trader to execute on a trade for coal. Right. So it's, it's finding it is very powerful, but it's also to see exactly where it fits in and to make sure that your VC knows that they're not backing AI. Like Clive says, you're solving a problem that AI is enabling to do faster, better, quicker. Cool. Kiet, what's your view on AI? I mean, how many AI investable startups come past your, your desk in any given day, any given week? No, look, I mean, I, I think it's, it's part of all our lives at the moment. I mean, and, and going forward. We, we're going to augment ourselves as humans. I mean, we're already wearing devices, counting our steps and this, that, and the other thing. And that's, that's not really AI per se, but the application of some of those things in terms of the data and everything that can be, be gathered. And we will be half robot by the time uh, our, our grandchildren are, are born. But um, so, yeah, so, I mean, in Knife Capital, we've, we've automated a lot of our um, due diligence processes and a few of these things we've, in our internal for internal purposes but um you know also trying to spin out one or two th of these things when, in our spare time but we've just invested in a um an, a machine learning ai business called data profit which is one of the top uh, top machine learning companies in south africa very cool and i think that by the way. yeah it's very cool yeah we, we we love that one however you know for us to have to get our head around that investment so we always do a technical due diligence where we i mean we're not experts in in any of these things so and we don't pretend to be but it was quite quite difficult because we couldn't find someone that could actually analyze the algorithms and tell us whether this is you know so so we eventually find, found a professor in, in in ai somewhere to pay him to kind of really come down and have 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 a look at these things we sort of realize that, as, as you said, Benji, the application of these things is, is actually what, it's, what, it, what it is all about, obviously. But it's actually a little bit, you know, it's not so much about the technology. It needs to be good technology, but what problem are you solving? In our case, very much focused on, on data profits case at this stage on um, the manufacturing industry and, and, and taking, taking the, the manufacturing processes down to, to zero defect. Because interestingly to an accountant, you can't just 
replicate the formula because heat and um, you know the the way it's been done and the what, whether you mix this thing first and that thing second and what's what's happening in the macro environment and where the supply chain has come from, you know you you can't just say here's the recipe for the manufacturing process and it'll come it'll it'll spin out the same engine block day after day and with zero defects and 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 basically that's where their where their secret sauce lies at the moment very much focused on the on the machine on the manufacturing industry so it, it really has i mean for us at the end of the day we were speaking to the key clients and they've got some blue chip clients there and really in and in, in, in seeing how much money they're saving realizing we're probably charging too little for for this for this for this product but um, we'll solve that later when we've got more traction um, I think that's that's where it boils down to. So I think I think it's not it is a buzzword, but if you can find the the focus to 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 use a word which we have used a lot tonight, but if you can find that focus in terms of what problem are you solving on, with your AI solution, not just for the sake of AI. And then I think if you actually think about all our lives, I mean this is this is going to be more and more legal contracts and things which which you which 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 is it's replicable replicable and um and uh, you know where machine learning can can actually say well this is a template um let's uh, let's let's dis- disrupt that industry i think all of us are in for a little bit of an interesting ride in the next five to ten years in in life in general yeah absolutely um cool so i want to stop it there and we want to take some questions from the audience um, can I get a question from this guy here in the front with a, yeah, from you, you were late. So I'm penalizing <laughs> you with a question. Just your name and your question. Um, my name's Declan and I don't have a question yet. <laughs> so I'm in the agricultural. Just hold as, the mic a bit closer. I'm in the agricultural area. And we're putting hydroponic farms inside shipping containers and trying to put them right at the point of consumption. Well, point of sale would be to be. I have some AMG containers for you, by the way. <laughs> we'll talk afterwards. <laughs> um, so maybe it's just what technology could I add to that? Because we, in, the, in our five, ten year future, we see us having a platform where all these containers are, co- are connected. And in order to mitigate the risk, if one container goes down, then that that container that was originally supplying to Brightston Pick and Pay, <coughs> sorry, Brightston Pick and Pay, maybe there's a closer container that could give some excess supply. So maybe I don't know if it's that's called blockchain. Empty trips. That's what it's called. <laughs> it's there. Empty trips, blockchain, <laughs> AI. I'll, I'll give you my view on this thing. I mean, to me, you know, the product business model is dying. The platform business model is the future. So what, what, what Benji's building is a platform. What Google has is a platform. What Uber has is a platform. The, the platform business model is where the money is going to be made. So you have the consumers, and you have the producers, you've got the supply, and you've got the demand. And the whole model is changing around from a supply-driven model to a demand-driven model. So I think what you said there about the platform for your future, I can't comment on your technology because I don't know enough about your business and I wouldn't do that to you. But the fact you, if you're building a platform business that's going to marry supply and demand, that's where the future is. That's where the real money is going to be made in the platform business. I've seen too many products. I tell you, the product business model, honestly, to me, has got five years is going to be dead. It's going to be the platform business model. So I, I hope that helps. Um, this is a question here with this dude here. <clears throat> Hello. Hi. Uh, my name is Tulo, and I've got a pretty selfish question, and, and I'm posing it to all of you on this panel. 
Um, so I'm going to UPenn um, in, in a few months to, to study, and I want to be in tech, you know, for the rest of my life. Um, it's something that I'm growing more and more passionate about every day. So, you know, if you want to be that revolutionary CEO and, and, and founder, can you give, you know, me some advice in terms of what I should focus on, um, whether it be through my studies, um, any of my time outside of my studies, what I should be learning, uh, should I really focus on technical skills um, in technology, in computer science? Should I be focusing on, on business skills or both? Can you give any advice? Can I, can I have my just two cents on that? I think you should do the thing that you can see yourself doing for the next five years. Because a lot of people want to get into tech and they get romanced about you know the new shiny blockchain, AI, tech, startup, BC, Silicon Valley narrative slash rhetoric. And a lot of it's bullshit. Right. So and, and they do things for five minutes and then they go, oh, shit, this is really hard. And then they bin and they quit. Um, Alon raises on our last show, we shared this interesting stat. There's actually research to prove that South Africans give up like out of one point. One point yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then on average in America, it's like three times that. Right. In other words, they fail three times more before they quit. So the Africans fail like once and then they go, fuck, this is hard and they just bail. So, and, the, and so they do this thing for like five minutes and then they quit, right? So for me, it's like, if you're not going to do it for five years, then don't do it at all. And that would be my point of departure there. Can I just add one? I think, you know, to me, you're, you seem like a hell of a young guy. Focus on learning, don't focus on earning. Because too many youngsters just want to get the biggest paycheck they can get, irrespective of the job, and that actually doesn't position them for the future. You've got to have a long-term view from, from you've, got to, you, you've got to build the skills to become an employer than just being an employee. Because if you just build tech skills, you're going to be an employee. You're not going to be an employer. So my best advice to you is learn about tech, learn about marketing, learn everything you can about a business. And the best, I tell you, the, the best university out there is Google. It's the internet. You know, you can go today to these MOOCs, you can go to Audacity, you can go to uh, or any of them, and you can go and do MRT, Harvard, whatever you like to do, you can go and train in any course, and lots of them are actually free. So I tell you, the learning ability for anyone in this audience here today, anyone in the world that has an internet connection is actually unlimited. But I think the key thing is to know, yes, where your passion lies, but try and get as broad, become a generalist before you look about becoming a specialist. Just become a generalist to know if you want to be an entrepreneur, you've got to be a generalist. You'll hire the specialist. You'll hire Kit as an accountant and me as the, as the tech guy and, and everyone else like that. But be a generalist to be a leader, be an entrepreneur, and, you, and you'll hire the specialist, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, maybe just a quick thing to add. I mean, if you think about the panelists today, you know, Benji has a, has a kick-ass consulting career behind her. As has as Clive and and you know really gone through the corporate corporate thing and being being at the top of of his corporate game. I mean, I was at Procter and Gamble, which is a marketing FMCG company in finance, private equity, Investec, and then I went into Shuttleworth. And 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 I, and I you know at the end of the day, a reluctant entrepreneur, not reluctant, but I found myself suddenly with owning a company, and I didn't actually on day one. Yevon and I were sitting there thinking. Well, hell, where do we start? You know, <laughs> but um, I think I think those experiences. Um, so the advice I would give is, I mean, it's good, yeah. Focus on learning, but don't don't. I think that I wouldn't be as good an entrepreneur if I didn't learn from these big corporates. And I don't knock corporates at all. I mean, I think you you need to suck them dry for all the knowledge and 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 corporate history that they have and salaries. Um, yeah, well, and, and, and yeah, bank that salary for one day when you start your startup, so that you have some some bootstrap resources to to fall back on. 
but yeah, I mean, every journey is different. So, so I really, I think the, the, the entrepreneurs that we fund generally are actually end up being a little bit older um, entrepreneurs generally because they've got a little bit more maturity around understanding the, the, the I think Clive mentioned an interesting point. They, they're more generalists, you know, I mean, if you start a business, you might be very, very focused and very good at your, at your craft. But I mean, suddenly you're an entrepreneur and a CEO and a founder, and you have to do flipping everything from counting petty cash to marketing, biz dev, doing your website on Wix to, you know, whatever. And I mean, if you don't have somehow that resilience and tools, then um, yeah, you've got a bit of a problem. Cool. Uh, just very quickly. Yeah. What's your name? How old are you? Okay, cool. I was going to say I'm five years old. I'm a little bit older. I'm 27. So completely agree. Generalist. Make sure you can learn. For me, I did an engineering degree. Um, and then it was either investment banking for me, consulting or the oil and gas industry. And I actually took investment banking. It was half the salary of oil and gas so that I could learn. Um, but if you were to focus on one thing, I would not jump into technology. You're a digital native as you are. The number one thing I'd focus on is people and fall in love with people's problems because then you come up with a psychology and a process. So all AI is, is automated thinking process. So you're just saying, how can I solve this process um, using psychology and paradigm shifts? And then you say, how do I automate that? And I don't actually care which technology I use. So I love them all, but if you get down to them, there's multiple different ways of doing things. And there's so many people which can build the tech for you. So God forbid, I love my tech team, but I always say, screw the tech. I don't care about it. Let's fall in love with the problem. And so often the easiest part of anything is the psychology problem. How do you solve the human condition? And then you can find tech. So don't dive into tech because you think tech's the world. It's already there. Fall in love with people. Look at people on the day-to-day -day basis. Go stand in the line at the shop. Go to the petrol station. Go to the post office. See what really pisses people off. And then say, can I take that friction away from you? The technology that's is the very, easy part. That's a, that's a very, very good point. I often uh, half-jokingly, but people think I am joking and I'm not saying, you know, I think I'm a good venture capitalist because I studied accounting so I can understand the model and the numbers. I studied an MBA and I studied intellectual property law so I can understand how to, how to do all of that. But I should have studied drama and um, psychology. I think I would, have, I would have been able to handle the people element much better, the softer, softer things in life, and um, boardrooms. I mean, honestly, if you want to see flipping drama play itself out in real life, then, uh, then, then I think I would have been much good at, be better at my game if I could act. Can I just say that Tudo is an intern at us? He's just recently basically turned 18, basically, and he is probably the smartest, kindest, most people-orientated, tech-orientated, great writer I have ever met in my life, and he's nearly half my age. So Tudo, to you, you've got a bright, 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 bright future. Cool. Uh, just this question from the gentleman on the back corner there. Hi, uh, my name is Geho. Um, I'm from Blue Candy, actually. Uh, I think I've been running it for about five years or so. I think I heard uh, Clive speak on, uh, what is this, the, the change in modeling and business models and all. So I'm looking to move away from the services uh, company because I'm um, well, services business because it's not that impactful and it doesn't really have that much return on investment. So I've been looking, I'm... I'm doing an exploratory research on moving into manufacturing. So I was just wondering, like, what do you think in the next five to 10 years um, in Africa or predominantly South Africa? Like, what do you think the demand will be in terms of actual, actually, like, producing uh, product and pushing units? 
Clive, you want to take that one? Well, I think I'll tell you one thing is for sure is you, if, if you're in manufacturing, you've got to understand three addit additive manufacturing, 3D printing, because that's becoming the future. You know, there's no doubt about it. If you look at the cost of, if you take a supply chain where you have to go and get a part from America and that cost you a fortune and delayed you, you just produce a thing using additive manufacturing, which is basically 3D printing. So I think manufacturing is going to be disintermediated quite substantially, in all honesty, because the whole thing about manufacturing in China or manufacturing in this, you can manufacture in your own. You just need a 3D printer with the right, uh, you know, the, the right type of material that goes in there, and you can do manufacturing. So I would really understand tech, I think, is going to disintermediate, like it's disintermediating all other industries. I think it's been slow in manufacturing personally, but I think in certain parts of manufacturing, I think it's going to be very, very disruptive. And then robotics. You know, if you look at robotics, you look at the blue label, blue collar type of working. I think over time, the next five to ten years, I tell you, there's not going to be those guys on the shop floor anymore. So manufacturing for me is going to be it's something, and I'm definitely looking at it from an investment point of view, because I think it's going to be extremely disruptive in the next in the next few years. And that's not South Africa, Africa. I think that's globally. I get it. I get it. True. I mean, I think I think I must, if I must also just add is while VCs and tech and scale, and I mean, I understand what our discussion is tonight. But don't knock a high-growth lifestyle business. You know, a business which 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 is something which has twenty percent growth year on year. It's maybe not not that VC fundable and so forth, but um, less risk and 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 you know. So there are some elements of services businesses which um, which one should should embrace and 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 not just think that the the language that that was spoken tonight is the be-all and end-all for entrepreneurship in South Africa. This country is built on SMEs that do biltong shops and muffin shops and, you know, plumbing businesses and so forth. And they maybe franchise it or maybe grow it a little bit and so forth. But, you know, though, that's where the heartbeat of, of entrepreneurship is. I mean, we are at the bleeding edge of things, but um, there's also a hell of a lot of risk to what we're talking about. Go for it. So I read a very interesting article today, Keats. I'll actually send it to you. It's about the rule of 40%. I don't know if you've heard of it. I don't know. I don't. I haven't heard of it, but I love. I love forty percent as my attention. So, regardless whether you're a tech business or a physical business or a plumbing business, it's the rule of forty percent. So, either you're growing at twenty percent and your margins are at twenty percent, making up forty percent, or you're growing at forty percent and your margins zero percent because you're growing so aggressively and everything that you're getting you're reinvesting, so there's no profit left. Or you just growing systematically, you're steady, but you have a 40% margin. So it's always the rule of 40. So either top line or bottom line, but together, if you're making 40%, it's a good business. So whether you're a tech business or not. So I thought it was quite an interesting concept. And um, I'll send you the article because I think it's worth a read just to get your thinking mm. behind, like, where do you shift your focus? Is it top line? Is it bottom line? Is it in between? Is it shared shift? Because there's always a give and take between the two. So, yeah, yeah that, well, that's a, that, please send it. But I mean, Clive, Clive and I, our business model is, is, is based on the fact that we would, obviously, some will be much over and some will be a bit less, but our targeted IRR, internal rate of return year on year, annualized is between 30 and 40%. So that is, you know, that's, that's what it's all about, you know? Cool. Um, any more questions? Or can I wrap up? You sure? You sure? <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, before I do that, I just want to remind everyone, um, you do stand a chance to get your profile in Entrepreneur Magazine. Uh, if you haven't already done so, go to meshclub.coza forward slash trial. Give us your information. You will get, of course, your, your free day pass, I guess, to join um, the Mesh Club. And um, I just want to leave you with um, a reminder. We have 
a massive event coming up on or literally in seven days from now, it's got Vinnie Lingham, Shark Tank investor, just a really rad dude, uh, just doing loads of really rad things on the international stage. Um, and then we've got Minus Britrake, who's also a Shark Tank investor and sold his business for like north of 500 million. Um, then we've also got Voyo Tufile from, uh, Tufile rather, who's the CEO of our Entrepreneur Bank. If you fund anything through the IDC, you go through his software. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a rad show. So if you haven't already done so, please go and check out your tickets or go get your tickets. All of you in the room, I'd love to see you back here next week. Um, and so just take a look at this. Cool. There you go. So thank you. I just want to thank Clive. Thank you so much, dude. You were a rock star tonight. Benji, just doing a really amazing thing. It's going to be such a privilege to watch your journey and see what you eventually build. Hopefully you'll become a unicorn one day. You never know. South Africa needs one. <laughs> uh, just really, really proud of you. So I think you're doing rad, rad stuff. Kiet, um, you got to get onto the Rolls um, train, dude. You get a, like a Rolls Royce, eh? You got the cash now, bro. No, 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 no. Certain things make me tick, and others don't. But just to just to give you some, give you guys some advice. When you have Vinny there next week, ask him what he thinks about South African VCs, and ask him, and, and then you can ask him the real question of, of ICOs. He'll give you, he'll give you a, a good, a good uh, peace of mind. Publicly, a bit of a different answer than we have in one-on-one on a, on a dinner. But yeah, some interesting, th- some interesting views, contradictory views of what we've spoken about tonight. Fantastic. And last but not least, I want to thank each and every one of you for being so attentive for the last two hours. I haven't seen anybody actually get up. So that's quantifiable, quantifiable value for me. And I wish you all the very best on your own personal journeys of scale. Thank you very much. And I'll see you in a future show. Thank you. Round show. This is the Matt Brown show. Matt Brown show. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.